we're living in this moment that is a pandemic, but it's we're also like living at this bridge point that feels like it's a mix of 1968. Think about how many riots and how much angst and how how much strife, you know, around identity was ripping at the nation's core in that moment. And 1929, Great Depression. We don't we haven't even seen what's to come in terms of the recession on the horizon and the struggles people will have. Hey everyone, welcome to Scene at Work, the podcast. This is the podcast where we highlight diversity and inclusion professionals and the initiatives they're leading to help their fellow employees feel seen at work. I'm Natalia Eileen. I help companies build more diverse, more inclusive workplaces. And today I'm bringing to you a conversation I had with a fellow diversity and inclusion professional, Brendan Jobes. Brendan is currently the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for the Haverford School for Boys, a K-12 all-boys school located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In addition to serving the students and employees of the school as a diversity and inclusion professional, Brendan also teaches a class on modern black lives as a member of the upper school faculty. Brendan and I chatted the day after George Floyd was murdered. As you can imagine, we chatted with heavy hearts and our conversation centered around both the climate given the pandemic and given the current state of black lives in America. Now he shares a lot of resources so I tried my best to collect all of them for you in the comments section of the YouTube video that accompanies this episode. You can also find those resources and Brendan's full bio on our website at seenatwork.com podcast. For many of us, this week, the last few days, this time has been very taxing, both personally and professionally. My hope is that Brendan's thoughtfulness and reflective energy radiates through this podcast and gives you the pause and the fuel you need to keep going. Well, thank you for being here. We're excited to have you on. Um, I'd love to get started with you just sharing maybe a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you're doing now. Um, so I'm going into my 14th year as an educator coming up here. Um, I'm from Philadelphia, uh, city of brotherly, sisterly, personally love. Um, and I started teaching at the Philadelphia High School of Girls, High School for Girls back in 2007. I was there for about seven years. Um, I still talk to a lot of the students who, who were students back then, who are professionals out in the world now. Um, so that's really my heart and soul. That's the heart and soul of my teaching practice, that space. Um, I taught in a co-ed space for about three years before moving into private schools. And I'm still, you know, um, working as an educator in, in a 
private schools, but I'm also administrator, um, director of diversity and inclusion at the Haverford School for Boys. Nice. And what does that role entail? Well, it entails a lot, and it's also um, kind of being built as we go. I'm the first director of equity and inclusion the school's ever had. So um, I say that not as a non-answer, but as a way of saying that, you know, the role is ever evolving. This is, next year will be the third year of the role officially. Um, although I've, I've been kind of doing some of the work to build it over the years. Um, I work across all three divisions of the institution. The school is pre-K through 12. So there's a lower school, a middle school, and an upper school. So primarily work with students in the upper and middle divisions, um, helping uh, build and sustain affinity spaces. But I also work with um, other administrators and faculty and support trainings um, around cultural competency and around anti-racist teaching practices um, and around um, yeah, 21st century pedagogy, you know? So I, the way I've had it best explained um, in my industry is, you know, inclusion directors are kind of mediating forces in school spaces. So we act as um, folks who bring people together within community spaces around a domain that um, is still too new to a lot of schools. Yeah. That's a really cool way to think about it. So it sounds like you're doing your job in different contexts, but almost for every community your school touches. Mm -hmm. And I like to think about it as um, I'm like an in-house consultant in a lot of ways. Because a lot of the work is, you know, something's gone wrong or I'm not, or nothing's gone wrong yet and I just don't know how to approach this. Can you support me? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, support work that happens kind of on the fly. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd love to hear if there's anything maybe that's been most prominent in your work lately or something that you'd really want to share with us as an initiative you've started recently, anything like that? Um, I guess with COVID-19, this, um, this pandemic has um, really shifted the way um, inclusion practitioners are working, you know, um, because so much of the work is about social emotional health and learning and connecting with other people in common space and being together. And, you know, how do you do that over these screens? You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's really shifted the way the work looks. Um, and I think it, in a lot of places, potentially, you know, the work has fallen off because of that um, and other Places have really struggled to figure out how to adapt. I'm in the boat where my space has struggled to figure out how to adapt um, to this new reality. Um, the idea is that you know we're in in this we're in this virtual situation now. Um, even if we go back to school in September, we might go back. You know, so um, there's also future planning for how do you sustain virtual spaces. So I guess an initiative I'm I've I'm proud of so far is the virtualization of a lot of these affinity group spaces and these training spaces. About two months ago, um, we were told to leave school um, with the prospect of returning. <laughs> and, you know, a couple weeks after that, we were told that we wouldn't be returning. Um, I'm glad that my community didn't wait until, you know, we returned to resume our work. Mm -hmm. um, 
within that week or by the second week, I think the first week was just a shock, you know, like, but yeah. I think by the second, by the second week or second or third week, um, you know, the students in the upper school um, had already started resuming their affinity group spaces. So for people that, that don't know what affinity groups are, affinity groups are spaces um, where people um, uh, with similar experiences can come together and commute. You know, affinity space work and experience can look any myriad of ways. Mm -hmm. um, the idea is that, you know, when you're in this space, you don't have to explain yourself or explain your experience as much to people who might not get it, you know? So a couple of spaces that we have um, are the Black Student Union, the Upper School, the Pan-Asian Students Association, the International Students Association, um, the Gay Strain Alliance, and also the Jewish Students Association. All these groups were built by students, which is also, I think, well, that's something to be proud of, you know? Um, students stepped up and said, we want this space because we need to, we, we need to connect with one another. So these spaces virtualized in that, you know, we, we used these digital platforms to actually connect around what we are experiencing um, as, as people living through a crisis in this historical moment. Um, I needed that as much as they, I feel like they wanted that, you know? Mm -hmm. And once they started doing that in the upper school, um, the middle school started to resume some of their spaces. So we have a middle school group called I'm Not Kidding, Inc. for short, um, which is a, a collection of, it's not an affinity group space as much of it as it is a space of people from, a, from multiple affinities. Um, but they were meeting consistently also to really kind of breathe together through this moment. So I'm excited about those. Um, and actually, this afternoon, um, there's a I'm I'm I co-teach with um, a faculty member at school, Susanna Lambor. Um, we co-teach this faculty training session that lasts ten months. People sign up for it as a cohort. Mm -hmm. um, it's called Seed, Seeking Educational Equity, Seeking Educational Equity and Diversity. It's a program that was started out um, in California by Peggy McIntosh, the designer of the White Privilege Knapsack. So the, the training goes through race, class, gender, um, and all of these different pieces that make up who we are and gets people to think through what their lived journey is in terms of you know, all of these aspects of who they are. Because with the idea that you know, all of these pieces of us um, show up in our classroom practices, show up in how we relate to one another in a school community, whether or not we realize it or not. Mm -hmm. So I'm meeting with them for our last session um, today. And we virtualized those right away too. So I'm, I've been encouraged by that. That's great. That's, that's, that's kind of where my mind is going too, where the students seem to really pick up on the virtual, like, okay, we're in a virtual world, let's do this. I was wondering if the faculty also caught on to still having these kinds of conversations and building that kind of community, even though they were separated from each other. And in many instances, I imagine some of your fellow coworkers are now with family members they weren't previously thinking about 24 seven or children and whatnot. Did you find that that also was a fairly seamless transition with the faculty? I don't think any of it was seamless. You know, I, 
<clears throat> as many as many people has sh as many students and faculty have shown up to the spaces we've also lost people you know um who are overwhelmed with the weight of what the world's feeling feeling like right now you know um so not seamless but in many respects um smooth you know yeah so i think the the hardest part was <clears throat> getting used to um, emoting over the wires, you know, actually being able to, to connect with what somebody else is going through or sharing um, without being in the same energetic space as they are. I wonder too then, you know, for the students, were there hiccups and bumps that you had to facilitate in any way? Maybe even helping your teachers in supporting the students through this whole process? For me so far, I feel like, I think I mentioned that this role is kind of like, you're like a mediating force in these schools. Yeah. My administrative challenge has been being the communicator, right? In that, <clears throat> how do I say it? Um, you used to be able just to say, um, so we're going to meet at this place, let's meet in this classroom, but now you have to set up the Zoom chat or set up the Google chat, and make sure everybody's aware of the passcode and make sure that there's no glitches and make sure that people know when we're meeting and what we're going to finish and be respectful of time. And so that's been my, my, my administrative work, right? So something that I've, I've started doing, which is, is simple, but I think worked well so far is um, setting up an equity and inclusion um, newsletter that goes out every week, right? So at the beginning of the week, just like you would get a schedule of um, what's happening with the overall school community, the community also gets a separate um, equity and inclusion update um, that offers some tips, you know, for thinking about how to just breathe through this moment, whether or not you're showing up to group or affinity spaces or trainings, but it's also been this space um, where I've been able to share um, different articles that I'm coming across, different um, workshops that I'm coming across. This moment has been really beautiful in terms of the, I don't want to call it free labor, but, um, you know, people like Eve Ewing, people like Amani Perry, um, people, people who you would have to really schedule out time to get to your community are just doing these Free workshops and these. Mark Brackett is um, is um, somebody who I is is he's the um, director of socio emotional learning at um, at Yale University. He's been also giving these workshops for free, right? So that these equity inclusion updates have been spaces where I've been able to kind of filter out that information to the community for people that maybe don't want to show up or who are maybe exhausted right. with. Um, on these, these screens, which is also real. That sounds like such a great idea. And it sounds like also something that's new. You, did, you didn't do those newsletters previously? I always wanted to, but I was always too busy, <laughs> you know? And, and it, there wasn't an imperative, you know, people were showing up, the work was getting done. Um, and if, and you could also like catch up with people and remind them, do that nut, hey, 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 we didn't see you. So um, now it's an imperative, like how else do we um, maintain this community um, without, without the confines of the school walls? Yeah, that's awesome. I love those things that are coming about 
that maybe we've always wanted to do or that makes sense in this context, but actually they make sense in all contexts. Like, you know, we, sh we should keep doing this no matter what um, and really benefit the community. Is there anything else like that in your world right now? Or is it kind of, um, you know, have you really just felt that a lot of what worked previously, you're able to move into this new virtual world pretty directly without those adjustments? No, I think that I think that's that's been the biggest thing, and that but that's also been something that I feel like day by day, week by week, in community with this with this group of people who are showing up to the spaces and participating actively, we've been tinkering with. You know, it's not it's not perfect. It's still not perfect. Right. I don't think it'll ever be perfect, but it's not. There's I, there's so much room for 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 growth. You know, in that, um, you know, how do we get people? who were a part of the community, who are now taking a step back from being actively engaged with people, how do we get them back in? Mm -hmm. Or like, is there a way to, um, you know, I always think about measurement. Um, and I think that's the administrator part, you know, how do we measure that this is working? How do we think about progress? How do, I, you know, I, I don't know if people are actually going to those workshops. You know, I get some really good calls. I have some some good one on ones with folks. Um, I use Calendly. Do you know that? Yeah. Uh, I love it. Oh yeah, Calendly. <laughs> but not everybody does. Um, so I, I, part of the work is like I, like I said, being an in house consultant. So Calendly's been a really important you know tool for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how how do I have office hours um, when there's no office? You know easy for people to just click and schedule with me. Um, I don't know how to, I, so I don't, I don't know how to measure whether this is working. Right. I know there are a lot of things happening um, and there's a lot of um, good free content that's out there that I'm benefiting from, if nothing else. I feel like um, I've grown so much in this moment. One thing that, um, one thing that I think of is um, Aranati Roy's, um, the pandemic is a portal mm. of this. Yeah. When I brought up Imani Perry, she's a professor at um, Princeton University. Um, I went to go see her at a talk at a school in Philadelphia called Friends, uh, Friends Select, um, and just was taken with the kind of mindful energy she created in the space. Mm. I've also been taken with the type of books that she writes. Um, she, she wrote um, a, um, a really awesome biography on Lorraine Hansberry that really like captivated me. Um, and you know, the energy in that book translate to, translates to the energy that she projects. And she just happened to, like not very long after this whole pandemic began, um, have a conversation with Arunati Roy, who's, um, she, it was a two hour talk, so I'm not gonna do it justice. I was, uh, <laughs> but I mean, like the, the kernel that really stuck with me is that, um, you know, the pandemic is a portal, you know, in that uh, you can look at this pandemic as um, a crisis moment that we all need to struggle through together to get to the other side of and get back to normal, whatever that is. Or we could actually look at it as a portal to another place, a portal to another reality. You know, oh, all of what wasn't working in terms of how we connect with each other, 
um, before any of this pandemic stuff happened. Think about what's persisting. Like I'm thinking about uh, the murder that happened yesterday in Minneapolis, I think it was. I'm thinking also about um, <laughs> the situation in Central Park where this where where this this white woman called the cops on a black man who wasn't bothering her this is these are patterns that existed before the pandemic so part part of that talk was like it opened up my heart and opened up my imagination to you know what can we leave behind from this moment and what can we take into what we build as a new reality you know? So there's so, and that was just one talk, you know? There's so much <laughs> being offered um, for free and in a way that's asynchronous. You know, was, you don't have to be there for that talk. I can send it to you after this, you know? And, and that's been a really, I think, important boon for equity and inclusion work in schools. You know, so often um, educators, uh, my colleagues and students are like, you know, I. I had too much to do. I was just too busy, you know? Um, yeah. Or there's like a pay block where you can't get access to something because it's $200, $300, and, you know, um, cost-benefit analysis. This is free. Yeah. And that has been um, a personal blessing for me because I love this work. It's it's not... It, it, so one of my mentors always told me, and this is going to sound cheesy because it is, but I love it. I'm, just, I'm an educator. I love being a little cheesy, you know. If you find something you'll love, you'll never work a day in your life, you know. <laughs> you heard this before. Yeah. Um, and I feel like in a lot of ways I live that. Because, I mean, whether or not I was doing this type of inclusive work in schools, um, I'd be thinking about this stuff all of the time. You know, I'd be... I'd, I'd be desperately seeking people to to unpack what I experience with, and you know that's the work. Yeah. So all of these free materials and workshops popping up, um, it just gives people even more opportunity to get in where they fit in, wherever they're starting. That's awesome, and you're putting it all together in these ways. Whether it's by making yourself available through a Calendly link or by putting it in a newsletter that people can access, which it sounds like such a beautiful thing, especially since you're so plugged in. I want to get access to this newsletter. <laughs> but um, I wanted to kind of transition. You started talking about the challenges a little bit, but you quickly shared some great ways that you've been able to overcome those challenges, whether it's by putting yourself together, you know, finding ways to connect virtually, emote virtually, are there any other challenges that you think are worth sharing that maybe try to understand, especially in this context of this virtual world? Um, there's a couple that come to mind. I'm trying to figure out how to articulate. You know, I think immediately about social-emotional health and well-being. You know, so. For people who are really, really struggling in this moment, you know, um, how do you convey a sense that it's okay that you're struggling? Mm -hmm. And not that it's right, but that it's okay to admit that you're struggling. I feel like we, um, part of our, part of 
like the American ethic is to overcome whatever barriers thrown in front of you. And in so many ways, you know, that just isn't healthy. Like sometimes it's important to stop and breathe and to phone a friend for help or support or for an ear, you know? So um, I think I struggle with figuring out how to make that plain um, for people in a way that they hear, you know, especially people who've disconnected, you know? Um, and that's just within my, my little school community. I'm thinking if you, if you look more broadly, um, I think I saw in our, our paper down here, the Philadelphia Inquirer, that Philadelphia public schools, I taught in Philly schools for 10 years before this. So I'm still really like, I, I, and I live in Philadelphia. I live in Germantown, Philadelphia. So I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to what happens. I think 60% of students didn't show up for online classes. Oh, wow. You know, and that was within the first week or two. Um, so I, I, I wonder if that stat would improve as time goes, but you know, I, you know, so something tells me there that there are folks struggling to access or there are folks struggling it, even if you have access, like I have, I have internet, I have all, I have all of the screens that I need, I can get there. Mm-hmm. There's an exhaustion factor that comes in. Like, I'm just, I'm not available for this. Like, the world feels like it is in tumult. You know, this is not, I, I'm not available for this, you know? So part of what I struggle with as an inclusion lead or as an equity lead is, you know, how do you, how do you convey a sense that it's important to name that struggle, you know, and, um, not have the answer for how to get beyond it. Right. It's hard. It's hard for me to even like say that as the concluding point. You know, what? How do we get beyond that struggle? Um, I think people have are having trouble just naming the struggle. Yeah. Um, another challenge that I find, um, I think, is this idea that, um, and this is also very American. You know, not my backyard. Or, or you know, if if I don't if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. Or not my problem. I this these are very elegant ways of like stating what what that pattern is. But that pattern is real. There's an um there's an article that I read um, in the Atlantic. Um, I forget the name of the title, but it was about America's racial contract. Um, and the the kernel of the argument was the idea that you know although we have laws and policies that are set up for all, um, the experience and also the um, enforcement of these laws and policies are different based on who you are in society. You know, this isn't going back to the 80s or the 60s or the 50s. This is going back to 17, the beginning of the nation. You know, I thought I'm, I'm a history teacher at heart, so that really resonates with me. You know, um, and on social media, I'm seeing, and in the affinity spaces, people are bringing to the table instances of, um, for instance, those protests that we saw. Um, and in, and in places throughout the country where people were like, you know, open up, open the country back up um, because I don't see a pandemic in my community. You know, just because you don't see it in your community doesn't mean that it's ripping apart another. So 
I guess to name what the challenge of that is, is figuring out how to um, create an access point for empathy for people, for care, you know, for people who might feel like everything is fine um, for them, so it must be fine for everybody else, because that's not real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate both of those. I appreciate you articulating both of those challenges because I think um, whether it's the first one where you're creating a culture that allows for people to understand that it's okay to feel, right? Whether it's that or the second one where you're saying empathy is an important part of any person's experience, especially in this global experience that we're all having i think in both of those instances it's such a beautiful thing to be building into the culture to be you know to be like just pushing in to people's <laughs> brains um and and making it the kind of space where that's a priority where both of those things are a priority it's just such a beautiful a beautiful uh, initiative even but it's it's a, they're both challenges because it sounds like they're not very easy to do. Yeah, and the entire nation is struggling, you know, with this. Um, I was talking to my head of school, um, John Noggle, and something that he said early on in one of the conversations that we've had over the past couple months um, that's resonated with me since is um, this idea that, and I know it's more complex than this um, because <laughs> humanity is complex. But we're living in this moment that is a pandemic, but it's we're also like living at this at like at this bridge point that feels like it's a mix of 1968. Think about how many riots and how much angst and how how much just strife, you know, around identity was ripping at the nation's core in that moment. And 1929, Great Depression. We we seen what's to come in terms of the recession on the horizon and the struggles people will have so when he said that when um, it just it just put this moment into um, a historical context that I think you know if we were honest with ourselves as people and as a country um, we'd see and feel. And I wonder whether or not that would change the way we react to um, the push to get back to normal, yeah. the sprint to try to, to overcome this, to win this war. This yeah. is, you know, this is, this is, this isn't, you don't pick up arms and, and defeat this. You know, this is, there's, it's far more complex than that. Right. Now, I think what's interesting, too, is that these are the kinds of conversations we have to have in, as diversity, equity, and inclusion professionals. We, we can't just kind of put them off to the side and focus on the, the job. The job is this. And for everyone, too, this should be a part of everyone's job, if only because we're all being so impacted by it. Um, and it also makes me think about the, the humanity in all of it or the human psychology in all of it that we have to continue to grapple with every day whether it's because of the pandemic or not that's that's really what a lot of this work is about right mm -hmm.
Mm-hmm, it is. And as you were talking, it brought up for me um, a space that I'm going to engage in. I invited a lot of my faculty, my, my, my colleagues in my school. I also like put it on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm just trying to get like anybody who wants to join in on it. Be, um, because I think that, you know, part of shifting the consciousness or the practice around that is being community with people who are trying to do the same. Um, there's an organization um, uh, called Barwe, Building Anti-Racist White Educators. Um, there's a group of teachers in Philadelphia, um, some of whom who I knew when I was working there, who put out this survey. Um, and the survey is just, you know, Google Doc, and there are four books on it. And they asked, you know, anybody who gets this form, choose your top two books and choose the time you'd want to meet, and let's do a reading group on the books of choice. You know, one of the books is stamped from the beginning. Um, another one is, um, that's my first choice, so I don't remember the others. Agility, <laughs> <laughs> but um, being in practice with others in terms of just story sharing and thinking about what this moment actually is, as opposed to the way it's being narrated in this moment. You know, there's between what it actually is and how it's being narrated to us on all of our screens. Um, I think it's important. Like, it, it offers us more power to, like, determine how we engage and live and practice. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I think we're just going to get more of the same or worse, you know? Yeah. You're already kind of venturing into this space, but do you have any advice for people who are also in this work? Um, link arms and phone a friend. I think that's the most important thing. I have a, I have a chain of um, inclusion practitioners, equity inclusion practitioners who I text with and phone with and have like virtual brunches with and vent with and also like listen to. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's important to just sit and listen. You know, that also reminds you that you're not experiencing something on your own. Um, but yeah, if you're in this work, um, phone, a, phone a friend, um, because I think it's, it might be really easy to feel defeated or, um, in, in this moment or feel like, um, your measures aren't measuring up. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that it's really important to measure anything right now, which is not, I don't know how, how, how a corporation would feel about that. <laughs> But this is such human work um, that um, I think that if you, you need to be connected to humanity, you know, connect with other people as in as many ways as you can. Uh, and for me, bar we building anti-racist white educators is something I feel like I need to engage with in so many respects because um, I need to be reminded that there are white educators who are determined to show up as accomplices and allies in this moment for people who are really struggling or being attacked right now. Well, thank you so much, Brendan. I think that's how we'll conclude our our episode today. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me.